Hello, Pastor Steve Waldron with Biblical Archaeology Today. I am so grateful you're here with us, and I'm very thankful to be your host. So we've been looking at our night podcast for quite some time, some ancient Christian writings. When I say Christian writings, these may be everything. Obviously, most of them are heretical and uh, just from stem to stern. They all prove... Christianity was a thing. I mean, how can you have an imitation without the real to imitate, obviously? And uh, these are amazing things to study from an archaeological uh, perspective. And a lot of people don't realize there are so many. You know, most people are acquainted with what's known as the uh, anti-Nicene fathers, the Nicene fathers, post-Nicene fathers. There's a whole nother corpus. Some people say, yeah, the Apocrypha, you know, um, you may have even heard of like the Gnostic Bible and the Nakamadai libraries. Let's just dive in. There's more than, than most realize. And so we come to Epistula Apostolorum, and that would be like the Epistle of the Apostles, <laughs> which were the uh, wives of the apostles, the epistles. No, I'm just joking. Um, and so the English translation is by M.R. James. And this is just a little bit. We're on earlychristianwritings.com. We want to say, God bless you, and thanks for being with us. Join us daily. The Epistola Apostolorum is also known as the Epistle of the Apostles. Say that three times quickly. Epistle of the Apostles, Epistle of the Apostles. Anyhow, although originally written in Greek, it is preserved in translations of Coptic and Ethiopic. And this is one reason we know things like this spread because they're multi-language. Why would it be in other languages if it didn't spread? It says there's also a an addition in Ron Cameron's The Other Gospels, non-canonical gospel text put out by Westminster and also Wilhelm Schnillmilker, uh, New Testament Apocrypha Gospels and Related Writings. So the Coptic manuscripts come from the late 4th to early 5th centuries. So these is, you know, 380s to 420s. The Ethiopian manuscript come from the 18th century, but preserve the entire text and probably have exemplars much earlier, like a lineage of exemplars. While the Coptic seems to be a direct translation of the Greek, the Ethiopic may be a translation of existing translation into Arabic or Coptic. So now you're looking at four languages. The Epistle, Epistula Apostolorum is a fine piece of Catholic Christian polemics against Gnostics represented by their leaders. Now this is fascinatingly interesting, Simon Magus and Serenthus, both well-known Simon Magus from Acts 8. So, uh, in presenting an alleged, this is Ron Cameron, an alleged revelation of Jesus to his apostles, the Epistle Apostolorum superimposes the literary form of revelation, discourse, and dialogue upon its traditions. Jesus speaks as the risen Lord who mediates instruction to the community. This literary layering is clearly secondary and uh, keeps going on. The Epistle Apostolorum, therefore, is an anti genre a parody of a form of apocalyptic literature favored by its Christian Gnostic opponents, an attempt to domesticate the literature of those who portray Jesus as the revealer of otherworldly knowledge disclosed in the uh, mystery books. 
So that's pretty interesting. All this suggests that this document was composed in the mid to late second century, and internal evidence suggests that Egypt was place of origin. So this is not a Gnostic writing per se. This is something against the Gnostics. And they've got a date on here, earlychristianwritings.com, uh, of 141.50 A.D. Next we come to Ptolemy, a lot of famous Ptolemies, including an entire kingdom in Egypt. And so in the preface to this work, Arrhenius states, I intend then, to the best of my ability, with brevity and clearness, to set forth the opinions of those who are now promulgating heresy. I refer especially to the disciples of Ptolemaeus, whose school may be described as a bad, excuse me, as a bud from that of Valentinus, which Valentinus wrote on the three natures. Further, they teach that John, the disciple of the Lord, indicated the first oglod, expressing themselves in these words, John, the disciple of the Lord, wishing to set forth the origin of all things, so as to explain how the Father produced the whole, lays down a certain principle, namely that which was first begotten by God, which being he is termed the only begotten Son of God, in whom the Father, after a seminal manner, brought forth all things. By him the word was produced. In him the whole substance of the aeons. So this all goes back, really, to Platonism, that God was so infinite and holy, couldn't have anything to do with his material world. And so he had like 33 degrees of aeons, of which Jehovah might be one, the word of Logos may be another, and various forms, depending on the Gnostic writings you're reading, Balasides or uh, Serinthians or the Sethites or something. And, um, you know, you find hints of this even like in Clement of Alexandria, of course, uh, uh, Plotinus, which is one of the founders of the Neoplatonic school. And, but it goes back to that. And, and this is where the big thing, like the, the Bible's very clear, it's the Father in Christ. You see me, you've seen the Father, and Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We know of one God, the Father, to what God the Father was in Christ. And the, the ancient world, if you studied Greek, you just could not wrap your mind around that. So that was a deal. And uh, so that's Ptolemy. And this is, the again, there's a whole host of Ptolemies, including that which gives us heliocentrism, if my memory serves me correctly, from science. Isidore, Isidore. The work of Balasides was continued by his son, the pupil Isidore, by whom we know even less than his father, Clement of Alexandria, and Stromata has a few quotations from Therese's his writings. So Isidore is therefore a minor figure in 2nd century Gnosticism, but you might run into him because he's mentioned. And then Fronto, from 140 to 170 AD, the other was mid-2nd century as well. Uh, Columbia Encyclopedia has a thing on uh, Fronto as well. C.R. Haynes has correspondence of Marcus Cornelius Fronto in the Loeb Classical Library, which I love the Loeb Classical Library. Recommend it. I've got a review of it over at New Life of Albany on YouTube if you want to check it out. So, Manicius Felix writes in his Octavius, and of the incestuous banqueting, the plotting of demons has falsely devised an enormous fable against us to stain the glory of our modesty by the loathing excited but outrageous infamy that 
before inquiring into the truth, it might turn men away from us by the terror of an abominable charge. It was thus your own Fronto acted in this respect. He did not produce testimony as one who alleged a charge, but he scattered reproaches as a rhetorician. And uh, so basically he's trying to say that Fronto poison the well. Nobody would even consider Christianity because of these horrible false charges, which they had a ton of that. I mean, because communion, they would say, ah, communion, you believe in cannibalism, baptism, especially not believing in infant baptism per se, pedo baptism, but even baptism, you know, coming of age, seven, eight, nine-year-olds, they would be like, ah, it's, you know, rights against children and all of these things. Um, so I'm sitting here just reading so much stuff. But anyhow, um, we're going to stop there and uh, continue on. And we need to make it through this because we need this information out there. Again, this comes from earlychristianwritings.com. really recommend that website. Disagree with some of the dates, but it's okay. God bless. Talk with you later. Join us daily. Share with your friends, family, church family. Leave us a five-star review, and we'll talk with you later. Bye-bye.